the incomparable. Number 591. December 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is about a Marvel movie. It's Eternals, the 2021 Marvel movie based on Jack Kirby's wacky characters from the 70s. And we're going to be talking about it now. You may, not everybody's out rushing out to theaters. We're going to talk about it without spoilers right at the start, and then we'll blow the spoiler horn and talk about it in more detail. Um, this movie is out in theaters now, and we'll be on Disney Plus in January. When, uh, Moises Chuyan mentioned before we started the, the date. When When is it in on Disney Plus? January 12th. January 12th. So if you don't, uh, you can just listen to the first part, hear the spoiler horn, pause it, and then come back here after you've seen it in January. But uh, my panel joins me in being brave and going to a movie theater and seeing a movie in a movie theater. Let me introduce them. Moises Chuyan was already introduced, but I'm going to introduce him formally now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Moises Chuyan. I uh, I have secrets about my family that I should probably share, but not share at all within the two hour and 45 minute runtime of this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you about my history. Oh, there's too much. Let me sum up. Uh, <laughs> Chip Sutter is also here. Hi, Chip. You're about to meet the greatest podcasters the world has ever known. Mm. Legendary, fashionable, powerful. Mm. Yes. And Quinn Rose is also here. Hi, Quinn. Hi, Jason. Are we the baddies? <laughs> uh, okay, Eternals. What a weird choice for a Marvel. Can we start there? Like Some, what, some things we talk Jason, about Jason, on this podcast. I take, I take great offense, Jason, as a longtime <laughs> fan of the Eternals, as there are many... Long time fans of the Eternals with their Eternals lunchboxes mm-hmm. and shrinky dinks. Yeah. Um, how dare you? Yeah, this is. I mean, like, there's the, the the legend of of Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, oh, they built it on Iron Man. That was a character nobody really cared about and nobody knew, and they built that on that. So, so why not? They could do anything, but still, to choose this very particular weird Jack Kirby comic from the 70s and these characters that are are not even to this day anywhere resembling anything near anyone who's at the core of marvel comics characters <laughs> and yet somebody i i think while we're on the meta discussion of of marvel movies which we've been on for years now on the incomparable like i gotta i gotta hand it to him um we always say you should get out of your comfort zone and try things that are a little bit off and a little bit odd and, and not just make the same movie over and over again. Oh boy. Eternals um, is way outside. I, that they understood the that assignment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like just, I, I was, as I'm watching it, I'd already been thinking about it. As I'm watching it, I'm thinking who agreed to make this movie, not judging the content of it, not judging the quality of it, but just, it's such a weird choice in, in, and, and, Regardless of how it turned out, I'm so glad that they made a weird choice like this because you know there's a template. You get a you get a superhero or two, and you you tell an origin story and you get them in there and you say, oh, it turns out that uh, she knows Star Lord's cousin, and it, it's all connected, right? That's your template of a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing, right? And Eternals is just like no. We're going to introduce a whole team of people you've never heard of who've been around for thousands of years, and nobody knows them in in the regular world. They're not Spider-Man or even Iron Man. We're just going to do it. 
And they did it. This movie is very unlikely when you think about it that this would be a Marvel movie at all. It's un- unreal how weird this idea is. There, there's been some speculation that, oh, they did this instead of doing Inhumans. Um, even though the Inhumans and the Eternals do have some related DNA, um, I don't think that you could just swap in an Inhumans movie for what it now seems like they, they were trying to do with this. Uh, to, to back up just a little bit, uh, the idea is that there are these superpowered um, meat robots, basically, uh, mm-hmm. that have been around for thousands and thousands of years on Earth, placed there by Celestials to help humanity evolve and grow. And, and, and who are Celestials? Uh, look... <laughs> We don't have all day. <laughs> you just got to come along for this. Yeah. The celestials, they're they are big giant space god things. Yeah. You know that, that, that skull stuff. of an alien that, that, that was the whole planet nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy? That was a celestial's head, right? Yeah. Like, well, welcome to the origin story of the decapitated uh, space station. All you really need to know. The most notable comics run up to now... Uh, was an attempt in 2006 by Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. to reboot them as a property. And Amnesia plays a role there as it plays in the movie, but in a bit of a different way where in the comic, they just think that they are regular people. And in this one, there, there, there is, there's stuff that plays with memory, but uh, they all they all know that they are Eternals and that they have been around for thousands and thousands of years doing all of this stuff. Um, the thing that if you, if you pick up that Neil Gaiman run, uh, going, oh, well, I bet they uh, heavily based it uh, on this because that's what they've been doing with the Hawkeye TV show. (laughs) Oh, my friend. No, that's really not at all what happened at all. Um, you'll also find that the genders of most of the characters do not match the gender assignment in the movie, uh, which unlike the original characters who are overwhelmingly male with the exception of Fina, I think is the only one. Uh, other than Cersei. Uh, yeah, Athena and Cersei, I think, are the only uh, assigned female Eternals in the comic. Um, th- the cast is much more multicultural, uh, though Gaiman did a little bit of of, uh, of work on that as well. Um, I would actively encourage people to not seek out the comic before seeing no, the movie. don't do it. At all. At all. Don't do it. It's um, great. Like none Jack, of them. Jack Kirby is a brilliant uh, person who was a uh, key figure in the creation of sort of modern comic books at Marvel. And then he went to DC and he came back to Marvel. And this was in a period, I joke about it, but I'm also serious. He, he was taking a lot of drugs and had a lot of wild ideas and... It has benefited, uh, you know, Marvel and DC in that he had wild ideas that they can mine for intellectual property, which is the least exciting thing to say about the creative process. But there it is. This is where we live now. This mm-hmm. is is one of those kind of wild, like like uh, Dark Side in the DC movies. If you've seen, if you saw um, Justice League. Uh, that's a that's a Kirby New Gods ish thing from the seventies. It's the same for, coming from the same kind of weird period where Kirby was just a free agent, and they're like, "Yeah, Jack, whatever weird idea you've got, put it in a comic, and we'll publish it for a short amount of time, and then nobody will read it, and then we'll cancel it, and he moves on to the next thing." And that's where Eternals comes from. It's it's very much at at that time in comics history. It was so. Who's paying Jack Kirby to make weird cosmic <laughs> yeah. stuff? Somebody's got to um, do it. That mm-hmm. looks neat. Um, you know, you as never a story, know what will come out of it. 
I can very enthusiastically once again say, don't read the comics. Just don't read the comics. And and I think that's fine. And they took the root idea here, right? Eternals is a story about super beings who are not this, you know, this year's flavor of su- superhero. They are super beings who have been among us all along and have guided humanity and protected humanity throughout history. And, 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 and sculpted human mythology. Yeah, and and, go- and they are the people on whom so many mythological you know stories and gods are based and that's the, that's all you really need to know going into eternals it's just it's such like imagine doing the avengers like the avengers movie the original avengers impressed me because it was so uh skillful in integrating a whole bunch of characters in a way that didn't feel entirely like a a kind of corporate mandated crossover event but eternals has to introduce character like a whole bunch of characters that like like you've a never, dozen characters you've a never dozen heard characters. of and and that you have to identify with it's this is hard this is really I mean not to say you haven't heard of them you've heard of the mythological characters on which they're yeah. based right you've heard of Icarus and and and, and uh, Gilgamesh and others and but Cersei still. yeah and uh, Mercury yeah this movie is doing a lot of things that uh, Kenneth Branagh tried to do with Thor. It's it's sort of a similar concept in, you know, you've got uh, the intersection of Earth and weird space, weird space gods. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the differences here are that Thor was a more recognizable character and a more conventional kind of story. Um, and um, Eternals is, is not. You don't know these characters and it is just bat blank crazy by comparison um and the and and that's and that's part and parcel with what uh, jack kirby was doing in the 70s when he wasn't working with stan lee when he was doing his own thing and um you know he w- he was the artist and the plotter for early marvel but when he had um when he had creative freedom just weird stuff happened and this movie has that weird stuff dna just through and through. I, I mean, going in, the things that I would say to people that that spoil nothing are be prepared for a two hour, 45 minute movie because yeah. this is a two hour, 45 minute movie. Um, and that I, Jason, you mentioning Darkseid and, and DC, the thing that I counseled various friends with is don't expect MCU house style. This is this is almost DC level gods among humans yeah. kind of stuff. Um, it is grand mythology on a grand scale where you jump, you jump to, you know, the, the height of, of, uh, of, of Babylon uh, to the fall of Tenochtitlan in the 16th century. Um, there is stuff that I, you know, I hope that a bunch of comic book movie seeing kids will be spurred to want to learn about these actual eras in history that are depicted in the movie that are, uh, that are cool and fascinating. And in, in some cases the movie is filling, filling with mythology things where the historical record has gaps. Um, that's one of the things that I think vibe wise is most interesting about it. Um, there's a character named Dane Whitman who is dating Cersei and we're introduced to him at the beginning of the movie. He's played by Kit Harrington, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do see him later. And one of the criticisms that, that I saw lodged at the movie was that, oh, he felt tacked on and it was like they were tying into some other thing that they were doing to me. 
that is the least egregious example of something like that, that Marvel or DC has done. Um, because it's just, oh, it's Kit Harrington playing a, a boyfriend character. Who knows if we'll ever see him again? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it teases some other stuff that 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 will end up getting done. And there are threads that are left uh, dangling for where these characters are going, as it seems that there is there is a bunch of weird cosmic trajectory that Marvel is going to be covering with the Captain Marvel sequel. Um, with the Guardians of the Galaxy third installment. Um, they they just cast an Adam Warlock, uh, speaking of weird space stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only going to keep doing wild, weird space-time stuff as they've introduced Kang and they've got multiverse stuff happening. Um, th- th- they made this movie and it was comprehensible and they introduced a dozen brand new characters with no pre-existing threads to anything. The the weirdest thing that I found myself saying recently was this will be various people's first Marvel movie. Before, before we fire off the spoiler horn, I will say like, I, I liked this movie. I didn't love it. I didn't like it as much as I've liked most Marvel movies, but I appreciate what it's ambition. And I actually think it exceeded my expectations for a movie that has this many moving parts mm-hmm. and no backstory. It this is hard. This is a hard challenge. Um, I, we, we all saw DC faceplant trying to do exactly this. There's so many characters that with, you have with to characters meet. people know. I, I would argue that there should be fewer of them, but uh yeah. that's this is the choice here is that there are an awful lot of characters and um I, I think I think it goes in interesting places and there and uh Chloe Zhao, who did No Man Land um, and won Oscars, directed this and has a screenplay credit as well. And I think that it looks different in a way that if you're expecting like your your standard Marvel movie, you're just you're going to be. It's not like it's not a Marvel movie, but it's not your standard Marvel movie. It is different, maybe as different from a Marvel movie as you can possibly get and still call it a Marvel movie. And I think that goes to Chloe Zhao having some visual choices that she makes that maybe are outside of the house style and just the ambition of telling the story. So I think it's totally worth watching, especially if you've seen Marvel movies. And also, if you haven't seen Marvel movies, you could watch it without any knowledge whatsoever, which I think is one of the reasons why they made this movie is they wanted to make something where um you didn't have to come in knowing a whole backstory because this movie is all of that that is this is the backstory for these characters this whole conversation talking about where it came from a bit in the comics and also its place in the mcu i'll say for my experience of this movie i watched every mcu movie up to endgame and then i haven't seen any of them since because i got tired um Mm -hmm. but then i went (laughs) to see this after a little bit of a break uh and then i have never read a single eternals comic never heard of them uh, you're (laughs) don't do any most people haven't and i'll say right now i love this movie it's so weird. Mm. I loved it so much. I'm really excited to talk about it, but I, I would very highly recommend it. It's definitely not a normal MCU movie. And yeah. I do have criticisms of it and things I think it could have been yeah. better. Um, I think actually it would have been really well served being a TV series, yes. perhaps yes. more than a movie, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it was a million hours long and not long enough at the same time. Yes, that's ex- exactly it. I wanted five hours of this subdivided. Yeah, that mm-hmm. there is... Um, 
you know, we'll we'll fire off the spoiler horn in a second here, but I, I, I agree with you 100% that this is such a rich vein of material and we have reached a weird inflection point in our filmed entertainment that I sat through this thinking, why is this not a 10-hour miniseries? Because yes. there are so many characters and they're so interesting and there are so many little digressions where you have a little bit, you're like, oh, and then it's gone and you never come back to it. And it it with this whole new cast of characters it's a little bit baffling why cuz it's it's a very long movie and yet feels like they left so much out that would have been better yeah. served with more time in a different format i'd like to make a very tortured but obvious analogy given my interests it reminds me an awful lot of the current series of doctor who the uh, six part mini series doctor who flux that has a metric ton of characters um that and uh, and an awful lot to accomplish within a long story um but it almost needs more time for those characters to be given room to breathe um and and for all of the uh veins to be properly explored and um i think that the structure of eternals um, and, and the setup of it, I wasn't as satisfied with it as Quinn was. Um, I had, I, I, I enjoyed it, but it's, it, it is so sprawling and it is so, so weird that it needed <laughs> more time to actually yeah. develop the weirdness. Yeah. I think, and, and right. I feel the same way about, Do- about the, the Doctor Who series. I think that, um, I think that both stories are really polarizing and audiences are either really clicking with it or not. There's very, definitely a sense of sort of like, this is a lot and yet also this is not enough, which is a, I know it's contradictory, but I think that that's, it's accurate. It's like you're trying to pack um, 10 hours or eight hours or whatever of material into a little less than three hours. And this is a long movie and yet it feels like you've omitted or, or bypassed a whole bunch of things that I really would like to know more about. And that's a strange thing. I mean, I mentioned some of the jumps back to ancient history. Um, I wanted more of those. I wanted more. Uh, I wanted more. Can you imagine uh, every episode being about one of the Eternals and flashback flashback to what they have in history? Yeah. Plus, it moves the plot along. I can see how this is a ten episode series. One or two of them, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was I was sitting there like breaking story for a five to six episode <laughs> miniseries as I was watching yeah. the movie. Yeah, I, I love the movie. I, I'm 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 on the love train as well. Uh, I am one of the few people who has read all of the Eternals comics, because at a certain point I went, you know what? I'm just going to read all the Jack Kirby stuff. Somebody had to do it. And my, my expectations were as a big fan of Chloe Zhao, a bunch of the people involved in it. I, I wanted this to be good, but I was terrified that it was going to be awful, like completely awful. Um, and I, 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 you know, where some of the, the reviews that, that said, oh, this is their worst movie yet. It's worse than Thor two. Boy, is that, I, is that wrongheaded? If you ask me, um, I, the, going back to the, you know, DC falling on their face with marquee name characters, you know, who Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Batman and Superman and all those characters are like, they utterly fell on their face with that. And this movie succeeded in, you know, granted, I, you know, like we've been saying, I I wanted some more, um, some more, some more good stuff, uh, from this cast of a dozen characters, but they managed to do more with these characters who, most people do not know well enough to know ahead of time 
who they can even expect to survive by the end of the movie. Like, right. A, a, a lot of these actors they're you know, even though you got your Angelina Jolie's in there, um, you got some actors in here who you're like, I don't, I mean, do they want to, you know, keep around the people who are really well-known uh, performers or do they want to, you know, keep the newer up and coming performers who aren't as well-known that they can have in a dozen movies? Um, that, that level of uncertainty going in, this isn't a Spider-Man movie where you go, you know, they're probably going to make another Spider-Man movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's all a blank slate, and that's what what I like about it is that it's so unusual, and I don't know who these people are, and so I don't know what the rules are. I don't know if they're going to survive. I don't know if none of them will survive, or, or or all of them will survive, and 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 what the story is that they're trying to tell. How does this connect to Marvel other than in passing? That's also another thing. Like, does this even need to be a Marvel movie? It is one, but it, it feels at several points that it doesn't need to be one, which is, I, I think, again, in its favor, if you haven't seen all the Marvel movies, you could still watch this movie and it would make sense. All right, we're going to fire off the spoiler horn here. Um, it's a, in theaters uh, as we record and and on Disney Plus uh, in the new year. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie and uh, don't want to know what happens, then don't listen after the spoiler horn. All right. Um, can I talk about deviance? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me tell you let me tell you how incredibly compelling I found those deviants. I okay. Oh I know we're going to talk about this cast and there a lot of really interesting characters and all that, but I wanted to start with the deviants only because we just talked about how there's there's a, like a, a a ten hour miniseries in here or eight or six or whatever it is, but there's a big miniseries in here with more of all of this. I also, unfortunately, one of the things that bothered me about this movie the most is that I felt like I was witnessing the contents of a a screenplay, previous screenplay draft that didn't entirely get excised from the movie. Um, and it's the deviants. So the deviants are in the Marvel comics. <laughs> the, the deviants are like the mindless ones from Dr. Strange that didn't make it into the Dr. Strange movie for very good reason. The idea with the deviants is that they are the, the counterparts to the Eternals. And they're these kind of animalistic kind of creatures that are trying to kill people and that they have to save them from them. And it's like, fair enough. I don't mind that entirely. What I mind is that there is this super weird plot in this movie where one of the deviants keeps absorbing other uh, uh, eternal powers and killing eternals, and it becomes like a person, and it, we, we, where it can communicate and stuff. And it's voiced in, by a Skarsgård. Yeah, I think. it's entirely superfluous to the plot. At the end of the movie, when it shows up, it's like one: Why are you here? And two, shouldn't you be on the same side now? And and it, it frustrated me because I just kept thinking, why is this character in the movie? Because there is another villain. Like, I get that, that the having deviants out there making attacks drives the story along, but having some sort of super deviant who is like a fake big bad and ends up being completely irrelevant. I just, it really frustrated me because I don't know why that character, it, and it, it comes, it's on the beach in the end in the big final fight scene. It's like, why we didn't invite you. Why are you here? You're not important to what's happening in the movie. And it's just, I, I was baffled by it other than the fact that it was, they had created the character for a earlier draft of the screenplay and felt they couldn't like, they should have just deleted those pages. I don't, I don't, I don't like that character at all. And it seems completely like a waste of everyone's time that it's even in the movie. That's there. I said it. 
there was a minute where that felt like it was really going somewhere and then where it, it was <laughs> there was some kind of more because i think one of the things that this makes this movie so interesting is that it asks real moral questions i think mm-hmm. in a way that most superhero movies don't on that level and it seemed like it was getting at one of those where it's like oh are the eternals the bad guys in a way and it like yeah. really confronts them like very explicitly with that question and then it it gets dropped. It doesn't really come back. Uh, they don't really grapple with it on like a deviant level. They're like, no, the deviants are bad. Yeah. Um, and then they just keep going. Why is this guy sentient? Yeah. And and if, if I guess, Crow, the deviant here, is um, he's different. I didn't realize he had a name until now. Yeah, it's on the Wikipedia page, I guess. Um, the That character, if, if, if it was that moment of you're actually, you know, on the on the bad side and and we we are good or we're not we're we're no worse than you or whatever. Like if there was that moment of like, whoa, it's all totally different and that this was the driver of it, I would I would think that yes, because it, it, it this isn't a moment where the characters have discovered that they are really just there to uh keep to hatch an egg, right? Like they're just there to keep the population of Earth alive enough that it can be consumed by a baby eternal. And so they're bad. That's bad. And it's a bad mission. And um, I think that's, Quinn, I agree. I think that's really interesting. And the problem is that like, there's that moment where I thought, this is why this deviant is in the movie, is that in the end, they're going to realize the deviants aren't their enemy because they are on the same side because neither of them really likes what is being done where they go from place to place hatching uh, creatures out of planets, right? They, they, And yet that never happens. Like we never get that moment where, where it's anything more than just another baddie to fight. And it just is, uh, it's so frustrating. I, I'm, I don't want to overemphasize it, but like I came out of the movie saying, why was that guy in the movie? I don't get it. The weird, the weird angle for that was it felt like the thing that they left dangling for the inevitable sequel. And I was like, I don't know that they needed to not resolve that. It just feels vestigial. Like, like originally there was a different use of that character and they kept it around. You've got all the antagonists you need in the Mm. end in Icarus and Sprite. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. I mean, that that's one of the things about the climax of this movie. We're kind of doing it backward now. I'm sorry. I had to talk about deviance. But um, the 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 interesting, one of the interesting things about this movie is that at the end, it's very much like the Eternals find out their purpose and their purpose is bad. And they've spent thousands of years on Earth getting to know humanity. And it turns out that they have their memories wiped and they do this on every planet and then the celestial hatches and eats everybody and then they move on to the next world and they don't they they have in this case discovered their purpose and they realize they're not on board with it but some of them are and that i really like i like the idea that we've met a super team and it turns out that they're evil and that a bunch of them are don't want to be evil and they're not interested in now that they've discovered what their true mission is and they're at odds with one another and and i thought that was really interesting there are a few moments like um i i really like that the reveal of icarus richard madden uh being the one i mean I knew something was up, but like, I really like the reveal. He shows up with that glowering look. Yeah. And I was like, come on, man, mm. try to telegraph and, it a and little more dying. subtly. But like that he is, he is actually the bad guy because he is, uh, he knows the mission and he has uh, killed 
uh, Ajak, Salma Hayek, because uh, she is also against the mission, um, which is why uh, they they don't put him in charge, even though he should be. They put Gemma Chan, who is so great, and I love her and all the stuff she's in, as Cersei, and they put her in charge. She has, she has to figure it out. But I like that Icarus is is against it, and Sprite is kind of you know kind of against the rest of them in terms of rebelling. And then Kumail Nanjiani, it, I, I feel like so he his character Kingo, who is fun, and there's a lot of great jokes, and his uh, his uh, uh, butler, his 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 uh, his uh, valet, um, Karun. Karun is with him. Uh, oh, that's all the comedy in the movie, right there. That's all good stuff. He's got many, many camcorders. Um, but but Kingo doesn't agree with the rebelling, but also won't fight them. And I thought that was interesting on one level because it's like there are layers here. There's sort of like the one who's totally on board with the mission, somebody who's kind of on board with the mission but not great, and somebody who's like not gonna stop it but isn't going to fight them. And that's, that's Kingo. And I thought that was an interesting choice. It does feel a little artificial. Like, you know, they can't all be rebels, right? Like there's got to be division between them. It can't just be the one guy. So they have to sort of throw him in there, but he does really just say, no, I won't fight you. And then walks away. But still, uh, interesting idea to, to have this, introduce this group and then realize that they, uh, some of them are for their mission and some of them are against it. I think that was one of my f- favorite things about this. Um, there, all of these characters have a hook. Um, they've all got something to them. Uh, when you have a large ensemble cast, um, a good script writer or a team of script writers um, or a good franchise machine um, knows going in that you're going to have to give all of these characters something for the audience to hook into because you're not going to be spending the entire movie with Captain America. You right. know, each of them has to have that, that something. And they do that. I really like uh, actually what um, happens with Kingo, um, even though it doesn't serve the character very well in terms of total screen time. Um, I do like looking at this, uh, this family and seeing them break into all of these different directions and for Kingo to be the one to just say, I'm out, see you in the sequel. Yeah. And and that, that doesn't really save him at the end of the movie either. I think in almost any other movie, that would have been a setup for him returning in the right. big fight. And that's what you're you're sitting there expecting that. And then he just no, no. he he dips <laughs> out and he does not come back to fight, which is very interesting character wise. It's not as satisfying as the alternative, but um it definitely was unexpected. And it is yeah, I don't know. It I it left me with a weird like what I thought was going to happen going into the final fight is not at all what happened, which right. I think was an, a, at the very least a very interesting subversion of the typical moviegoer's expectations. I enjoy Kumail Nanjiani a lot, and I think he does. Like, I love that he's immortal and he's just playing his own great grandson. You know, basically he's just always going to be a movie star, and 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 it's and his uh, when it's revealed that his valet is like, no, no, you can't say that in front of Karun. He's like, I've been your valet for 50 years. I know all about it. <laughs> it's like, it's such a good moment. He's such a fun character. Um, and then um, what's the other, the other character I wanted to mention that is not your usual superhero type. Cause there are superhero types, right? I- Icarus is a superhero type with Richard Madden, of course, who was Rob Stark. 
couple of the uh, Stark kids in this one. Gemma Chan. Very intentionally uh, a, a, a pastiche of uh, Superman, even with a call out yeah, in I, the full, script. Yeah, yeah. Full, on, full on fascist Superman. Yeah, by the, by the way, Superman and Batman both name checked in this movie, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, but I loved it when Aunt May says you're not Superman to, to Peter in, in the Spider-Man movie, too. It's, I'm telling you, good eventually stuff. Disney is going to buy Warner Brothers yeah, Discovery. Put, put it all put it all together. And, and Feige's just laying groundwork. Yeah. Icarus is Superman, essentially, and he's the bad guy. And I think that I, I, they, there are several moments where they they go full on in that in terms of the imagery, and I really liked it. But Gemma Chan is a is a uh, you know superheroy type in some ways. Angelina Jolie is who is essentially Wonder Woman. Uh, <laughs> is a very heroic type. Um, Don Lee as Gilgamesh is a heroic type, although he ends up you know out in the out in the jungle somewhere. Um, uh, the one that I thought was like Kingo was not your usual type is Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos. I loved that character so much. Yeah. I love him so much. He's so good. <laughs> He's so sweet. He's got his family. <laughs> He's just so tired by everyone. He just, just wants to build his on. bicycle. Incredible amounts of power and capability. And he's like, oh man, okay, all right. He's just this, he's this reluctant hero who doesn't okay. really want to be involved and thinks all, right. all of you are really dumb, but okay, I guess I'll do it. It's just his tone is hilarious throughout the whole movie. And he's the one who ultimately is the one who, who like understands what's happening and can fix everything, which is also pretty great so i just i love that character too so fine i, I won't give them the steam engine i'll give them a stupid plow yeah, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> i still think my favorite joke in the movie is when icarus reveals that he has outfitted his house with protection and then it's like what is this table made out of and breaks the oh, table yeah. it's ikea just <laughs> yeah. perfect moment good job i uh, one one of the great victories of this movie has to do with Icarus, which is they they name check the, oh, the boy who flew too close to the sun, and then they literally fly him into the sun at the end of the movie and <laughs> that, that, that they that they pulled that off without it being laughable is masterful. I, okay, it's a little laughable. It is. Um, it is okay, it is. It's, a li- it's a little it's a little laughable. My family and I, when we left the movie, we sort of like, so why did he fly into the sun? And I said, because of his name, I guess. And it's nominative determinism, I guess. Because really what should have happened, I mean, the answer is he should he should die, right? He should He should not be allowed to continue. And we don't want any of our heroes to kill him. So instead he flies into the sun in a poetic bit of nominative determinism but it's it's real dumb <laughs> it's just uh, whatever okay i guess he's flying into the sun now it's fine uh, going back to the beginning of the movie we have the you know in ancient times kind of stuff and then we do the the uh, the the uh, the credit roll and the and the logo thing right and and we we jump into present day with cersei as this like ancient history teacher um and when inevitably, uh, oh gosh, her boyfriend needs to find out that in fact she has fabulous powers and blah, blah, blah. Her roommate has already told him about this. Um, and they managed to shorthand a like a relationship chat between the two of them outside of a laundromat that was incredibly efficient in terms of storytelling. As, oh. as much as I wanted this to be a five or six hour TV show, um, that they managed to pull that off and had an audience surrogate character and it, it didn't feel redundant. 
Um, even though we kind of already had that explained to us. You need Jon Snow to be there <laughs> too, sorry, to get us into this story. Right. Like that, that's a good way to put it is that you've got Kit Harrington talking to Gemma Chan and this is the, the lens. He's like the doorway. And then we enter this super weird Eternals world sort of through him as a contemporary human being. I think it's important right. that he's not important to the movie. He appears, he, he disappears for the next two hours and 15 yeah, minutes but, of the movie. But he, he's a useful character at the beginning and the end to sort of bookend this. It, Cause that's the question, right? Is how do you live as an eternal? And can you even uh, connect to human beings who are so ephemeral when you are essentially immortal? As you said, meat robots, it turns out. But, you know, we're all robots, really. Anyway, not to be too philosophical about it. Uh, but, like, so he 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 grounds her, but also makes us all kind of, like, ponder that that thing that I think is an interesting question. And, and we, you know, with Kingo, it's a, a similar thing, which is, like, how, how do you live in the world as an immortal? And, and there's no no good answer there. So I, I think that all that stuff was interesting. The, the thing that, that then comes into play um, that, that I was going to say, that the weirdest comparison that, that, uh, that, I, that I'm going to make is that then we set off on the Blues Brothers section of the movie where we get the band back together. <laughs> yep. And it's a matter of which members of the band are down with what's going on. And then, you know, as we discussed earlier, that, that whole dynamic changes. And even though we've seen snippets of these people, we've seen them use their powers and we kind of get an idea based on echoes of history and mythology of, of what roles these different members of the team are supposed to take, um, that, that they do such a good job of letting us see the dynamic within different characters change Kingo being one of them. Um, I, I love Makari, but Makari doesn't get as much to do other than be cool and yeah. be likable, um, which I think is great. Um, but the, the, that I was left wanting more, I think is one of the big victories of the movie is that I didn't feel like any of the characters in the movie were incredibly super played out other than the lead deviant who, right. Uh, who shouldn't yeah, be there. Shouldn't be there. Um, that, that, that to me is, is how like the setup ends up paying off well by the time we get to the end of the movie where I'm, I'm more familiar with, with, you know, some of these characters names than, than most people are. But even with that aside, I don't feel as lost as I do watching something like wheel of time where I'm like, wait, wait, what color corresponds to what thing and what, ah, what's happening. Um, that, that is not something that I felt throughout the whole movie while they were constantly playing with dynamics that are not directly related to stuff in the comics, especially like their treatment of Icarus um, and down to like the, the amnesia stuff that I mentioned in the comics, they set it up that like none of them remember that they're eternals except for Icarus um, and in, in the game and run. And, um, and in this one, it's just that they don't understand their actual nature their, and their, their actual, actual jobs. Purpose. Yeah. It's a, uh... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's. It, I did have moments when they get the band back together where I kept thinking, "Oh, there are more of these people. Come on, like it's a lot." <laughs> but the, but then you got Kingo doing a Bollywood dance number, and you're like, "Okay, I'll give it a great. few more minutes." Today I was today I was thinking about the fact that this movie is two hours and forty five minutes long, and I spent five of them doing a Bollywood dance, and I mm-hmm. laughed out loud. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. I think. Yeah, I was going to say it encapsulates what this movie is in a nutshell, which is it is willing to take the time, and that's why it's almost three hours long. Um, and yet, I think to Moises's point, what works in its favor is that 
I found lots of portions of this movie where I would have liked to have seen more. I would have liked to have it take even more breaths and not kind of move us on to the next thing. Because there are, you know, if we talk about the structure of this movie, it's got its action set piece uh, tent poles that guide you through the different acts of the movie. That is the way that it is the most like a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Th- that fight in the in the uh, in the Amazon when they uh-huh. go to uh, to Druig's uh, cult <laughs> that he of mind, mind control cult and the and the deviants are there and there's the whole big fight and uh, and Gilgamesh is killed and all of that like that is the that is some of the most marvelly in and the end is also a you know a big marvel kind of climax but those are the moments where i'm like oh yes right marvel movie got to pay the bills got to get this big fight in here those are the things that felt the most samey to me in a way whereas so much else of this movie is is weird and uh slows down or or goes in odd tangents and and i kind of really liked that stuff i thought that stuff was really good and the and the more kind of traditional stuff is it's fine it's well done um i i thought especially the um makari stuff was a really good visualization of like a super fast person um i think they oh, did yes. a really good job with oh, yeah. with her um, and she, we don't know a lot about her, but she's cool and interesting. And uh, like, apparently that like the romantic chemistry that, that she and Druig played up on screen was nowhere in the script. Mm. They just found it on set and holy crap, does it work? It oh just, my God. It, it, it launched a thousand ships. Yeah. I got, I have to bring you dispatches from the youth. TikTok is obsessed yeah. with them. Oh, uh, I utterly. Literally like. And nobody, nobody cares about Icarus and Cersei because they did not have great on-screen chemistry. Yeah. Sorry, it just doesn't happen sometimes. Nope. Oh my god! Like the the cumulative 120 seconds of those two <laughs> having little romantic nudges and looks at each other. I've seen fan edits made out of like those already. And I'm like, this is it. This is the ship. Uh-huh. That's right. Well, I mean, and go for it. Go for it. I I think. Um, so I've seen Gemma Chan in a bunch of stuff. I think she's a really good actress. I'm glad that she's essentially the lead in this movie. I think she does a really good job. Mm-hmm. I think one of the funny things about Gemma Chan, though, is that she is, maybe it's just the stuff she gets cast in, but I think she has this interesting element to her where she's both really an appealing actress, but also there's this remove there's like a little bit of a remove there. And I think that in the stuff that I've seen her where she's best and humans is, by the way, people haven't seen humans and you like where she's Chan. playing, she's playing a literal robot, uh, an actual robot. Yeah. Um, with a, a sentient robot, but an actual robot. Like, I think that that's sort of Gemma Chan's thing is like awkward, as beautiful as she is. And as, as, uh, as charismatic as she is, um, there's this like awkwardness in terms of her interactions with people. Like, I think that's maybe her thing. And so maybe she's not going to be in a bunch of romantic comedies, but I kind of like, I kind of like it. And I get it that, that it's a little bit like, there's a little bit of awkwardness there. And so she's not going to be the big, uh, tick tock, uh, uh, ship well, candidate. well, mm. we'll see what happens we'll when. See. So, so the thing from the comics that it looks like they definitely are doing um, is playing up the romance between Cersei and Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, aka sure. cursed sword boy with pretty eyes. Yes, um, John Snow. Because, like, it, it, yeah, it John Snow, but he has a cursed sword. Yeah, but he has a sword. Uh, yes, and he's even more emo than he was <laughs> uh-huh. in, in in Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, having having that maybe. kind of longing across the galaxy, I don't know. There maybe could be something there. Yeah, maybe we'll see. But but it is fun that that is the for as little screen time really as Druig and Makari both get that yeah. they that they have made that connection. Um, I I also I really did enjoy Don Lee as Gilgamesh. However, there is there is that moment because he's just making what is he making soup? He's just he's just making stuff. He's just like your your Food Network superhero, um, and he uh, he does have that moment where he gets to express his feelings right before he dies. And and anybody who's seen a movie when he when he gets that moment, you're like, oh, he's gonna die now <laughs> because yeah. it's it's one of those scenes where. Would it, would, wouldn't it be nice if everybody before they died got to have their monologue? Well, Gilgamesh has that. Gilgamesh is a Marvel character that was literally introduced with the name The Forgotten One in, in the comics. I encountered that character for the first time as Gilgamesh uh, when Walt Simonson brought him into the Avengers. And it was the most bizarre collection of superheroes to be named the Avengers. And Gilgamesh just sort of came out of nowhere. And he was this uh, big hulking bruiser guy with a bull's horn helmet on his head. He he was just a weird character that didn't fit in. Um, And as soon as I saw that Gilgamesh was a character in The Eternals, I knew he wasn't going to make it to the end credits. Mm-hmm. The character plays its role, and um, the actor uh, plays the role very well. I like the chemistry between Ma Dong Suk and uh, Angelina Jolie, and between Gilgamesh and Thena. Great stuff, but I knew that that character just wasn't going to last. His role was to protect somebody who wasn't going to be protected at the end of the movie. There was a there was a like Link and Zelda kind of a thing with them, um, but like Zelda had. You know, um, uh, I, I don't the 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 thing that that bugged me characterization wise was that Thena's entire character seemed to revolve around her having crazy lady syndrome. Yeah, um, and that's uh, you know could have been worse. I'll say. Um, uh, so I mean, it it bugged me that it was uh, that that it was something that kind of sidelined somebody who was was introduced as super hyper capable right at the beginning and i i just i'm i, I get really twitchy about um mental illness being used in 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 the way that it felt that it was being used um maybe i was seeing a bit more into it than than was actually there um but it it just uh it it, it felt it felt limiting to the character or it felt unfairly uh, hobbling for somebody who's introduced as hyper capable and then almost instantaneously the next time we see them um, we we have it explained as to know why this is this is why this incredibly capable woman is not allowed to be incredibly capable and, and talented uh, or or there's a major downside to her I did really like the reveal later though that it's not that there is anything wrong with her mm-hmm. in the way that they initially thought it's that she is literally just accessing more of their memories than they can and i, I thought that was a i re- i didn't see that coming and i thought hmm. that was a really cool yeah. uh subversion of what the characters were thinking um and what we had told the audience at this point it's like oh it's not that she's like unstable in any way it's that she is literally has more information than the rest of you and it's hard because that's an unfathomable that's an unfathomable amount of information to have access to and so and and i get 
there, you can definitely see throughout the movie that they are also setting up the final fight to be as difficult as possible because they are losing the major fighters or sidelining them in different ways. And so I see how that worked for them on a story level as well. I um, To have her be a less reliable fighter, um, it was... It was disappointing that there was basically her primary arc was about this and she didn't get much else to do. But like nobody had everybody only had a little bit amount to do in this movie because there were so many people. Mm -hmm. And I do like and I do like the way that her arc resolved. And I and I also like that's another ship that is very strong out there right now. Gogamesh and Theta. And I see it and I thought they were so lovely Mm -hmm. together. And the way that those characters played off each other, I thought was such a nice thing and such a dynamic that we don't often see in these kinds of movies. I missed the Lyra Croft movies. um, (laughs) So I was not prepared to see Angelina Jolie hold up as a Marvel superhero. And I thought that she did quite well. She's so cool. Yeah, she's so good. I, I read one review that noted that the 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 main cast of the Eternals is a combination of people who are like movie stars or have or or, or, or movie actors, and then there's Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And to a certain extent, Salma Hayek, you know, the people who just sort of are set apart a little bit as sort of coming from outside of Marvel casting. In the end, I bought Angelina Jolie as Thena um, uh, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, I think yeah. it's an interesting challenge with her because she is a big movie star. And you would think when she got cast in this movie, it was like, well, she's it's her movie, right? And she's not the lead in the movie. If I have a complaint, though, it is that her character is sidelined for so long and it, it, that, yes, she finally gets to kind of shine but it does feel a little bit like, well, wait a second. You got Angelina Jolie in this movie, and you're going to not use her for a long time? <laughs> to, to the point that you go, oh, yeah, that's right. She is in this movie. Right. And and so it's it's this thing where I get it, and I get that they wanted to do this way, and they wanted to use her as part of the uh, ensemble, and that's all fine. But it is kind of funny, because she's basically Wonder Woman. And in another movie, it would be all her movie. But in this one, that isn't what the movie's trying to do. And, and and that's admirable, right? In the end, Cersei, who is the reluctant leader, who does not have the brute strength, who is not going to punch the bad guy and win the day, has to find leadership and internal resolve. And like, I like all of that. I think it's actually really great that that is the solution here in the end is not, I'm going to stab something with my glowy sword or punch something or run really fast. Um, That's all good. That's all really good. But I did have those moments where I'd be like, right. Angelina Jolie (laughs) has a big glowy sword. (laughs) And why is she not doing more with it other than fighting the stupid deviant guy in the cave, which like, again, why is he there? But, well, and, and Quinn, like I'm, I'm with you on, on digging like the, the subversion of like what her burden actually was. Um, but I felt like it was undercut when we have her like stabbing the orange in the kitchen with the small child, um, where I was like, Oh, come on, (laughs) come on guys. Come on. Just, you had it, you had it, in a good place. Just Although that is funny, that is funny it's from funny, the perspective funny. of the of the your your su- your immortal superhero friends are a bad influence on our child, which is going on in that scene, which is yeah amazing. <laughs> Again, yeah, I don't know. It's it, I, I, I feel yeah. Like the the more the more I'm talking about it, the more I think I was I, I was 
I was worrying over uh, far, far, uh, far too much um, in that case. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's how they get away with with treating that character the way they do is because it's a plot point where it turns out that she's not what they think she is and that she she's actually more knowledgeable than everyone else. And I think that's how you get away from having her plot line be, well, she's got the mad weary. She's, you know. <laughs> well, whatever that means that's a phrase that they just drop and you're like okay i don't know what that is but that i guess woman it's bad. Has hysteria yeah. that woman has hysteria yeah. get her to a machine as quickly as possible. she needs to she needs to go to a like a, a sanitarium somewhere and uh <laughs> she just I, needs to sit in australia for a while for the, va- she's yes. got the vapors it's, yeah and and be cooked for for yeah. for a few years exactly um, well i yeah, mean so nice. this yeah this it's not bad gilgamesh the, you know one of the big tragedies of the movie is that pie <laughs> can we talk about that pie oh, oh that poor pie that poor pie like i of all of the of, of all of the food stuffs i mean yeah fine destroy the pan i don't care but seeing that pie, pie. just it was a tragedy apart, it was also great uh, how long that pie took to slide off of its uh-huh. pan. I was like, was that supposed to come off right away? And they just kept <sighs> filming until it came off. Guys, we've only got the one pie. We got to make this one count. We're going to lose the light. Quinn, you said that that you really love this movie. What what have we not covered that is something that you want to mention about why you like like this movie? Because so, like I said, I liked it, but you and Moises both are, are at another level. And, and so I'd love to hear from you the the stuff that really makes you say yes this is actually uh this is actually great and i love it i think part of it was just the from the very beginning you start the setup and it's like okay this is going to be a weird movie there's a lot of lore strap in do your best <laughs> and I don't know what it was, but I was just like, all right, I am buckled in. I have bought into this premise and I'm here for the ride. And despite the fact that I find most movies too long um, because I mostly watch TV, like this movie didn't feel that long to me, which is a miracle Mm. because I was so invested in every minute. And I think that besides the fact that it was just weird and I love weird stuff, one of the major things that made me love it so much is that I really didn't know what was going to happen. Superhero movies are so formulaic and there's something about that that's incredibly comforting and I love a lot of superhero movies. Um, but like I said before, I'm tired. Mm. And so going to see a movie that really felt different was so refreshing to me. I really liked the characters and I was bought into their journey. And then these twists and turns would happen that I wasn't expecting I didn't know the background of anyone and like we've touched on before you know you go see a Spider-Man movie and you're pretty sure they're not going to kill Tom Holland but for this movie I mean I was pretty sure Cersei was going to make it to the end of the movie because she was our main character but from everyone else I really didn't know who was going to make it out and I think the scene that encapsulates why this movie was special to me the best is the scene where you find out that Icarus is on the other side and that he killed Ajax and that he is going to do whatever it takes to help this celestial rise because that scene where they all find out and they confront each other and you realize that he actually is willing to kill any of them and it's there there on any second it could turn out into an all-out fight and you don't know who's going to come out standing if it turns into an all-out fight and what's going to happen I, for so many movies, that tension wouldn't be real because you kind of know who's going to make it out and who's going to survive. But it did feel real to me in that minute. And I didn't know who was going to be alive in possibly the next second. And that was such a cool feeling. You talk about um, that they could have taken more time. 
And that scene where they find out their real purpose, it turns out Icarus already knows. I I do have a problem with it, just in the sense that I feel like they could have taken in a movie that was well, not a movie, in a in a thing that wasn't a movie that was longer. Like it's not realistic for people to all just go, oh. This thing that I've been following all along that is my entire purpose and creed and is the reason I've been doing this for thousands of years, it turns out is really bad. So I'm going to immediately change and oppose it and work to destroy it, right? Like, that doesn't happen. It's really hard to get people, even for something as clear as we're going to crack the earth open and eat all the people, (laughs) that's what we're going to do. Even that, like, I feel like this movie tries with Icarus to get him to be like, no, 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 we need to do this. And it tries with Kingo to be like, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to fight you, but I'm also not going to be with you. I wanted there to be more of that because I feel like there would be really interesting, an interesting aspect to this story. And these characters is them spending some time kind of processing what their purpose is and debating whether they are better served. And there's a little of that in the movie, but it has to move pretty fast and everybody has to pretty much line up what side they're on pretty quickly. And I think that that's one of the reasons that Kingo sits it out is they need somebody else to sort of use as shorthand to suggest that this is complicated and not everybody's going to take one side or the other easily. And I don't know, like it, it could have been so much more almost operatic and tragic and complex mm-hmm. and people changing their minds and arguing about the, the the ridiculous but still important in the world philosophy of the purpose of the celestials and the purpose of the eternals. And instead, it just, it happens real fast. And Icarus uh, is a baddie in a way that I feel like he could have maybe been portrayed as a little more, like, I, I get where he's coming from, even though I don't agree with him. And we drill, you know, the movie doesn't have time to spend a lot on that because... You got You only got three hours here. Or give Icarus less screen time <laughs> and Sprite more. Yes. Because Sprite's motivation for doing this is way more interesting. Well, is it or isn't it? Because part of what the movie implies is that it, her her motivation is that she has a crush on Icarus. She's been in love with him forever and ever, and she was the Tinkerbell that Peter Pan ignored, basically. Right. There's also a double-edged sword where you're talking about of the motivations for what side people are on, because on one hand, it's like, oh, well, it doesn't, it's not really realistic that all of them would switch over to the side of we have to stop this now. But then in order to buy the rest of the movie, you have to buy into the idea of like, okay, like it is kind of that easy for them to switch. But then like realistically, Icarus's motivation, while he's still not a good guy, but it does make sense. You know, he's fighting for this entire life. He knows the purpose of it for however long. And he, and this is his mission and he's going to see it through. And so that in a way does make perhaps even more sense than a lot of the other characters' motivations. Yeah. But, you know, they are our, they're the perspective characters, so we have to buy into them. And then, yeah. Well, here's the thing that we keep saying. We keep saying switch. And I, the folks who are like, no, we have to stop this. I don't see this as them switching their motivation. It's them realizing that they were, in fact, working for the bad guys and they were under the impression that they were here to help nurture and cultivate humanity and there is humanity's guardians. This is them continuing what they thought their original mission was. And Icarus sees it as no, 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 I, I, I see, I see. 
I see the forest and the trees. I see the grand design of it all. He was never duped like them, right? No. So he's 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 always been on the other mission. I agree. It's not so much, but it is a switch. But it is that moment of like, w- which side are you on with all these people you've been here for thousands of years? And it turns out that this is your your mission. And I don't know. I I, I guess what I'm saying is it. They tried to use some shorthand to make it seem hard, but I came out of the movie thinking it would be way harder than that. And that also that that would be kind of a meatier thing that you could really dig into with these people who are family. And all of a sudden there is this huge rift between them about what they're going to do, whether it's the the cover story. You know, it's a classic. It's like a spy movie almost where it's like you believe the cover story and you're, you're, you're the agent in deep cover. And then they come to you and say, now comrade, it is time to strike. And you're like, I kind of like it here. <laughs> That's what's going on with them. And I, it's just, it's very rich and I would have liked a little bit, a little bit more of it. Um, it's, it's fine. I, I, it's just that moment that I think, I think Icarus doesn't get enough, uh, of sort of advocacy for his point of view, even though it's an evil point of view. I think it's it, w- more interesting if it's, less I'm a baddie and more you got to take the big picture. And there's a little of that in there, but I don't know. It's just one of the things that struck me is, is that they, they, they it has to happen awfully fast for people to, to take the sides and have the rest of the movie happen. Yeah. In the other direction, um, it's, it's interesting to me that the heel turn you expect to come never comes from Druig. I mean, he's a mind controller. He's yeah. got a cult. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yet in the end, he is on the same side as Makari and um, and everyone else, part of the Unimind trying to take the Celestial down. He and Kingo have some interesting places to go. However, this story gets continued, whether there's going to be Eternals 2 or a miniseries or whatever. One thing that I really like about this movie is that these characters have jumping off points. And Icarus probably didn't, which is, I guess, why he flew into the sun. Mm. That plays off of the the hang-up that I had originally that in letting go of it is why I went from liking to loving the movie is that um, they didn't have to do everything in this one movie and their stated goal in going out among the stars is to seek out other Eternals and spread the good word to them of, of, what, uh, of, of what they have been misguided and misled uh, to do. Um, Spread the uh, good word, kill the, the gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it is it is now as the twilight of the gods. We must end the gods. We need to kill mom and dad. Um, and and th- that is their as their you know we're going to go out there and find who we can find that sort of a thing. Combined with the fact that half of them thought they were staying on Earth, but instead got whisked away for one of my favorite sci-fi tropes, a spooky space trial of some sort. Mm. Um, I. You know, whatever that means in the phantom, uh, I, in the phantom zone, I guess yeah, in the so, phantom guilty. zone, guilty. There will be lots of mirrors. Mm-hmm. There will be a lot of distortion effects. Sure, it'll be great. It'll be very fashionable. Can we look to a, a, a future story where Kumail Nanjani or Angelina Jolie faces the Celestials and says, "Now get the hell out of our galaxy"? <laughs> I, I have to say, <laughs> I got out of this movie thinking, I don't know how well they these characters will be integrated into the. Marvel universe, but if you think about it from the perspective of what I think Moises called weird space stuff earlier, that I can sort of see. Like that, this is the weird cosmic stuff, like in Guardians of the Galaxy and a little bit in Captain Marvel, where it's sort of like not the 
earthbound because this is operatic these are these gods who walk among us much more likely that that you're going to see them bumping into the guardians of the galaxy or thor or or star fox who we see in the mid-credits scene or or captain marvel let's just say it these are these are our space x-men yeah they're weird space uh people and 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 i can i guess i can see that part of it i i was surprised at how the movie doesn't have an ending like so many marvel movies really just do have, end. <laughs> really do have an ending and then you're like yeah but there'll be more adventures and this movie is like no they the the celestials come and say you've been very bad and take them away and then the rest of them are already out on a spaceship um looking for like it's it's very like not resolved the earth thing is resolved but nothing else is resolved even even uh uh, old Jon Snow himself is like, I've got something to tell you about my family. And then he doesn't get the chance to do that either because um, yeah. she gets swept away to go to the space tribunal. So yeah, that that surprised me that of all the movies, Eternals, the movie that doesn't require all the background, it also kind of like leaves you leaves you hanging at the end. They they did not hedge their bets on well, you know, we don't we don't want to leave too many dangling threads cuz who knows if this will be successful. No, screw it. We're going to leave it we're going to literally leave it all on the field and not finish the game yeah. and just go, "No, we're, we're very serious about this. We're going to have we're going to have Jon Snow, the cursed yeah. Black Knight being recruited by Blade, an off-screen voice." Yeah. And Eternals yeah. will continue. Yeah. And it will continue. Yeah. And now you're getting into some of the stuff that leads me to like this movie but not love it. Because the seams really do show between this and the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And at several points, I was wishing that this was its own standalone story. Hmm. That it wasn't part of the MCU. Uh, I think in the end, um, it will the MCU will benefit from it being part of it. And there are places that they can take this that I, in the end, it'll probably be a uh, net net positive. But this movie ends with a gigantic marble statue of a celestial rising out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Marvel comics, uh, super superhero comics of all stripes, you know, have always had trouble sort of bridging the, it's the world outside your window, but it's got superheroes and space gods in it. We've already had the blip. Um, the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe feels increasingly less like our world with superheroes in it. But a giant marble statue of a celestial in the ocean and people wondering what it means. Um, it's just one step away from Chairface Chippendale carving his initials <laughs> into the moon for me and then we're going to go from that to a spider-man movie or we're going to go that from that to the tracksuit mafia in um hawkeye which to its credit has a giant uh has a giant pin particle arrow in it so it's not entirely grounded this movie is just off enough from the mcu but it's still got all, all of the mcu tropes it just doesn't mesh well enough for me and when the MCU sort of intrudes into the movie, I kind of wish it didn't. But it doesn't really do that until the well, credits, until, right? So, until, until a drunken Patton Oswalt as a CG troll rolls out of yeah, a portal. Yeah. That's why I've, I, I can forgive that because it, it does. I am very happy that it doesn't really get its MCU on until the credits, and that's the right thing to do because the rest of this movie doesn't require them at all 
In fact, I'm very glad that there's basically there's mention of Thanos and stuff. There's, like there's mentions of Thanos. There's mentions of the blip. There's arguing about whether Icarus could run the Avengers. You know, things like that. You know, it's 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 the necessary. A, a total stuff. of like 28 seconds in two hours and 45 minutes. Right, and they also mention Batman and Superman. So you know, <laughs> so yeah. they, they arguably spend more time talking about Batman and Superman than MCU stuff. Yeah, it is sort of fitting. I mean, Jack Kirby when he went to DC to do the New Gods, you know, he. He was trying to do this weird stuff, and he was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into including elements of the main, you know, DC universe in his comics. And his stuff with Marvel when he came back in the 70s, like the Eternals, was just weird of itself. So it's authentic to the brand for um, Eternals to be the weird offshoot of the MCU. What else have we not discussed that you all want to mention? Uh, Harry Styles. Oh, Uh, boy. I oh think introducing Harry Styles to the MCU in any role would be hilarious and great. And it is especially hilarious and great that they have him playing Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox, a.k.a. Um, I mean, in the comics, there are definitely various problematic uh, elements to that version of the character. But the the vibe and and the uh, the wavelength he seems to be on just feels absolutely perfect. I did not know anything about this movie not a thing i had not seen a trailer i knew harry styles was in this movie i people (laughs) i'm on harry styles tiktok i can't answer questions but i don't know how but people knew harry styles was going to appear in this movie before it came out they were on it 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 was it was from like stalking his instagram and like what he was liking and and retweeting like yeah. a trailer for the movie and then like he like he was in London when they were shooting the movie and he was he was it was it was then that his account was seen to have followed some like Gemma Chan's account and somebody else's accounts on Instagram and they're like Harry Styles must be in Eternals and everybody was like yeah 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 whatever shut up and then here he is and I guess the stalkers were right okay apparently Moises is also on Harry Styles TikTok, yeah. but <laughs> my daughter's there too, so it's fine. <laughs> but I just, I, I love it. That was the literally the only thing about this movie that I knew going into it. I was waiting for him the whole time. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about this character. Um, but I am very excited to see him be part of this. I think it's, I, I'm, they're, they're basically he, he's Harry Styles in space in the same way that Tony Stark now just is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I know there is a level in which I think this is a very smart move um, from Marvel because he's the kind of person who has an extremely fervent fan base that overlaps with the Marvel fan base in a way that I think is going to treat them well. Yeah, for sure. I have to agree on that. You know, I did not. I, I was I was immediately spoiled on that mid credits scene after um after the movie was released and I'm not on Harry Styles TikTok and I was I was disappointed because I thought that there were a lot of people who wouldn't have known about it who would have been really pleasantly surprised by that um it's it it, it is great casting for the for the most obscure of Marvel characters right, um yes. almost as obscure as the Black Knight <laughs> hey, he was a mainline Avenger. The Black Knight is not that obscure. I don't know. I I pulled I pulled it out when I, when I was like, is he the Black Knight? Is that what that sword is? And, oh and, yeah, and it was because I don't. I also think he's super obscure. What else? Anything else we we should mention? There's a uh, lot Pip in here. The, Pip Pip the troll. 
Uh, yeah. Pit Patrol plus Adam Warlock plus Drax and Gamora uh, used to be a, a team that, that just like kept people from having infinity gems. Um, and I just, I think it's abs- that Pip the Troll is in the MCU is almost as absurd as MODOK. Uh, or uh, something else actually or being in anything the else MCU with Patton Oswalt continuity. as the voice is what you're exactly, saying. Exactly. Basically. And any, anything that Patton Oswalt would voice. Um, I, uh, what a blessing. <laughs> Kevin Feige appears to like, uh, and have a lot of affinity for the same era of Marvel comics that I was really into, you know, uh, Walt Simonson all over the place. Um, but the mining that they are doing of really obscure, well, to, to to modern audiences anyway, really uh, the really obscure '70s characters like Adam Warlock, um, and you know, if you weren't into, if you didn't read the Infinity Gauntlet stuff, you know, where all of these characters came from, it's just kind of wild to me. It it's proof that Marvel Disney will mine every single decade. Um, every, every single era of the intellectual property in there, and they will make the most of it. So what's next? A, a, a movie about uh, the 12? Um, you know, it, it could happen. Nothing is too obscure, Chip. That's what we've learned. Nothing is too obscure to be a Marvel movie. You got to appreciate that because when, when Robert Downey Jr. is tired of making Iron Man movies, you've got to, you've got to uh, ramp up and pick up more characters we're getting further and further from um, uh, up until we get to the point of actually doing X-Men and the Fantastic Four. It is we are running towards the second stringer characters. Yeah. And that could be a, re- a really fertile time for uh, uh, Marvel because they can do th- more movies like Eternals that um, seem are, seem to be tailor made for Quinn as come back you don't need to you, you don't need to have be a part of all of these exhausting earlier movies that uh to enjoy this one i thought you were gonna say taylor made for quinn and how weird they are and i was like fair and then you finished sentence and i was like oh that's nicer but also true <laughs> we've talked a lot about this movie there's so much to say about it and i think that we've said so much that i have the major point that i think that everyone feels is that this would have been better served being a television series. Mm-hmm. And also that one of the, the both most frustrating, but also best things about it is that it does leave so much out there and so much rich ground to come back to. And so I, I'm all for them remaking this as a 10 episode miniseries. I doubt they'll do that because that's not how television works. But I'm really excited to see where these characters go in the future. I'm really excited about all of their future arcs. And hopefully, um, as you know, I mean, the cast has whittled down a little bit (laughs) because of the deaths. Um, So maybe, you know, in future uh, installments of these characters, everybody will get a little bit more time um, to develop their arcs further in a way that I think that could be really good. And so I'm just looking forward to what's next. And in there also Chloe Zhao did such a good job and she's so good at this. Yeah, she's so good. (laughs) Yeah, she's, she's good. There are these moments that, I mean, and I think the story is true. It could be apocryphal, but there are these moments where um, they're like, it's sunset and there are these mountains behind them and all this stuff and it's beautiful. And the, the, the story goes that Kevin Feige was like, you know, you can't have too many of those shots cause you know, it's a lot of CGI and Chloe Zhao said, or we could shoot it outside. Yeah. And, and Kevin Feige was like, 
Interesting idea. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So you're saying that you could get all of that in camera like in all of your movies. Like in all of your movies because she shoots with the really interesting, interesting kind of backgrounds mm-hmm. and in interesting locations. And this that's one of the reasons this movie does look and feel uh, different is that she brought a sensibility to it that she had enough um, credibility and enough persuasiveness that she was able to make a movie inside the machine and affect the machine. And I think that's really great that 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 uh this was a good as a weird outlier movie it was a good choice to have somebody like chloe zhao in there so she could really just take a movie that was not going to be off the assembly line and push it in some interesting and weird ways and and pretty ways because the her yeah her landscapes are gorgeous and they're amazing in this movie if if i have a final thought i think it's that as much as i may have wanted this to have been a tv series that let it breathe a bit more um I think the calculus on the studio's side of things was the TV shows that we're introducing on Disney Plus have an existing hook to stuff right. that we've done previously. Familiar stuff. We can we can chalk one up that we are not going to make as much money on as any of our other movies in the interest of introducing this entire other side of this entire other side of of the Marvel universe. And I think um I, I think honestly that bet ended up working. Um, as as much as I want more, I mean, there you go. That's by design. I want more of these characters. Um, I don't feel like I'm tired of any of them, and any of them that have already been taken off of the board. Uh, we're doing all this multiverse stuff now, so who knows? Who knows? Well, for those who are um, still listening who haven't seen the movie, even though we've talked about all sorts of things that have happened in the movie, I'll just say. Um, I think we're in a weird time in terms of people going to movie theaters or not going to movie theaters. This is a movie that does not feel, if you're a Marvel completionist, it doesn't feel essential in the way that most Marvel movies do. Um, And so I know that people may have skipped it. Um, I hope a lot more people discover it once it goes to Disney Plus, because I think it has a lot going for it and some of my favorite things about it are what we've said here it's weird and does things that you don't think you will see in a marvel movie and it doesn't require encyclopedic knowledge of marvel stuff and like i love it when marvel tries stuff that's weird so as i said at the beginning i will say at the end i kind of can't believe they made this movie I can't believe they chose these characters to do it. Such a strange decision. But yes, more of that. Make more of that. Not every MCU movie should be familiar character you've seen before in familiar setting, right? Like, there are going to be a lot of those. And if you look at the upcoming MCU schedule, oh boy, there are a lot of those. And that's fine, because they're usually pretty good. But you you got to try. You got to take bigger swings and do weird stuff and this that's one of the things I admire the most about Eternals is that it is it does not care that it's a Marvel movie. It's going to be weird. And and uh, and it is to your point and playing off of something Quinn said earlier, it, it is a long runtime. But when you get up from it, knowing that that's what you're getting in for, it feels like you just watched three episodes of something. Yeah, that is. It's the first three episodes of the Eternals TV show that isn't going to be made. <laughs> uh, but the Eternals will return. And you'll probably see them cameoing here and there throughout the MCU. As my 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 guess is that we're going to be seeing little bits o Eternals in all sorts of weird space places. Bits o Eternals. That sounds like a bad serial. Yeah. Well, specifically Eternals. Um, 
Did I do that right? Specifically, <laughs> Icarus. Uh, that is a little uh, burned. A little burned, the Icarus cereal. A little burned. Uh, well, let me thank my panelists one last time before we say goodbye. Uh, I, it was really enjoyable to talk about this movie um, and break it down like we do here. Quinn Rose, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Drakari forever. <laughs> Moises Chuyan, thank you. Uh, no offense, Jason, but I am mad weary now. Oh, no. Uh, and uh, Chip Sutter, thank you. Eternals assemble. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will be back next week with some exciting holiday fare because it's Kilmas. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>